0: What is up, all of my beautiful freaking people? Welcome, welcome, welcome to season three of FML Talk. If you are listening right now, you can't see this beautiful studio set that is behind me, but we are officially on YouTube this season, so you can watch all the interviews happen in front of your beautiful eyes. If you wanna come hang with us on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash FML Talk. I am so freaking excited to be back with you for season 3. I missed you guys dearly. So without further ado, sit back, grab a fucking cocktail and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my god. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that hey, hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Book? You not to <sighs> He did what? 48 hours? What did? Yeah, but
1: if you see all the photos on her
0: Instagram, <laughs> and this is FML Talk.
1: Oh no, she didn't.
0: Oh my God, you guys, it is so good to be back. I have missed you all dearly and I am ready to kick off season three with a fucking bang. Before we get into today's episode, I want to point out a few trigger warnings because it is a heavy one. We have child abuse, sexual assault. Um, We really dive into a lot of my guests' story. So if you have Any type of triggers around that, I want you to be forewarned. We are really going there in today's episode. Today's guest is someone who is very near and dear to my heart, Christopher McNeely. He is a film producer an incredible human being and a very spiritual individual. And I was so excited when I invited him to come on FML Talk and he said that he would because I know how open and authentic and honest he is. Oftentimes when we pitch to certain guests on FML Talk, they are a little hesitant because we dig into some really serious issues and topics on this show, which I love that people feel like they feel safe enough to come on and do that with us. So I wasn't sure what he was going to say, and I have to tell you, this quite possibly might be one of my favorite episodes we have recorded to date. Please welcome my dear friend, Christopher McNeely. Christopher McNeely, welcome to FML Talk.
1: Thank you, Gabrielle Stone. I'm so I th- happy to be here.
0: <laughs> I feel like this is a... I'm very excited for this episode, because I know how much stuff we're going to get into. I know the things that we're going to talk about and how my FMLers are going to be able to relate or not relate, but in some way connect with and heal from. So I'm very grateful that you graced us with your presence today.
1: Oh, come on. Ditto. I'm, I'm really grateful that, there's, that you've, you have a platform where we can share. And Because my, the thing that I think every day before I share any part of my story with anybody is let it just be for a higher purpose. hmm to actually help and heal. Otherwise, it's just empty.
0: Right. Otherwise, why are we doing it? That's right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you've had a very recent surge on social media. I don't know about surge. I would call it a surge um, on social media that has been really new for you because you've been sharing your story. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so beautiful to to look at and see the time that we're in today that people can openly share these very deep and vulnerable things that are normally taboo that people haven't talked about in the past and can then reach people all over the world to help them not feel so alone. It's really beautiful.
1: I appreciate that perspective. Um, We were talking about a little bit before this, that it feels like I always want to keep a check on it because for a long time. So, let me back up for a second. As somebody who had a lot of trauma in, in my childhood, I, I was very insular. I closed off. So I didn't tell anybody anything. Everything mm-hmm. was a secret. Everything was a masquerade. Everything was some sort of manipulation. And then I started going to therapy, and then I just started vomiting my shit everywhere. Right? Yeah. Like I would tell everybody. I would tell the person on the corner. Right? <laughs> like I would overshare. I, yeah. and, and then I realized that my story is privileged information that I get to choose to share. And so the thing I like about this little tiny corner of social media is I curate it entirely, right? And I get to choose how and what I share and whether I think it's for somebody's benefit. Yeah, right. totally. I mean, I, otherwise, I don't really understand the purpose of social media,
0: honestly. Right, blessing and a curse, big time. Um, I, I have to say to all of my FMLers before they get to really know you on this episode that there are very few men that I put in the category of my boyfriend, um, not to toot my own horn, but <laughs> there are very few men that I, I can look at and say, you have done the work, you've gone to therapy, you've showed up for yourself, you are an authentic, good human that, that is, makes this world a better place and you don't do shitty things that can often be categorized as like you know, things that men often do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are in that category with him.
1: Wow. I'm just don't disappoint out. us. No, I don't know, <laughs> I'm right? Just kidding, I'm just no <laughs> I'm going to let that sink in for a minute because yeah. that's huge. That's yeah. huge. Thank you. Especially now on my second read of uh, The Ridiculous Misadventures of a Single Girl yeah. and how you speak about the, the budding relationship there and how you speak about him.
0: Yeah. That means a hell of a lot. Yay. I love yeah. that. Take me back to your childhood, how that was growing up, and what you endured.
1: Okay. So... <clears throat> Jeez. Um, My parents divorced when I was three, and my mother married um, another man. And um, he proceeded to molest me starting at about three and a half. I mean, and the only way, people have challenged me on that, because how the hell do you know what happened at three and a half? Mm -hmm. But I know, I have a flash of a memory of the home or the apartment that we were in. And so when I timeline it back and ask my mother, that's how old I was. Mm -hmm. And it stopped at about 13. Mm -hmm. And it stopped physically. It continued psychologically and emotionally because he was still in the home until I was 15 years old.
0: How does it explain that to me? So how it went from the type of physical that was going on to psychologically?
1: Well, because I could stop him. Mm. Because I knew he wasn't actually going to kill me or I knew he wasn't actually going to take me away from my mother. Because these right. are the things that he would say. Oh, And, he, and the, the, the most insidious part was, I mean, can I be really candid? Yeah, please. Because I think it's really fucking this important. This is FML talk. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> So he, um, when you, when you come back from some sort of trauma, uh, particularly in childhood, I have learned that there are, there are hidden memories. We dissociate. I disassociated, dissociated so much Mm -hmm. that even now over periods of time, I will have memories that I didn't even realize were there. Yeah. Um, It was only after about, see, I started therapy when I was 26. I'm almost 47 now. It was only about four or five years ago that I really remembered that he had raped me. And then all of that imagery came back. Mm. So what he did was he completely separated me from everything that was my security. I already wasn't with my father. My father's uh, had his own issues with alcoholism and other things. A good man, but a troubled man. Mm-hmm. Um, but he separated me. So I was separated from that. He separated me from my mother because, um, you know, as a young boy and not having really any strong men around, he, he did this thing where he would treat me like shit during the day. I mean, you know, physically abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive, but at night it was, I love you. Mm -hmm. This is what, this is what is, this is how men express their love. You can't tell anybody if you do, you'll be taken away, you'll be killed, all these things. So I, I, I kind of, I, well, I didn't kind of, I repressed all of that. Mm -hmm. I also, you know, I think one of the things that people don't talk about with, with child abuse, with sexual abuse enough is that it is your only reality. Mm-hmm. I had no basis for comparison. Right. So as far as I knew, I remember writing letters. Like I would write letters to myself and to him and I would put them in between my mattresses and, and I would ask myself a lot, does this happen to everybody else mm-hmm. every day? Is this like a thing? So my brain also kind of started to normalize it.
0: Right. Well, and how do you at that age, if that's the only thing you have to go on, this, this adult telling you this is what love is when you're treated like shit during yeah. the day and then experiencing something that you don't, aren't comfortable with and don't want to experience at night, you start to think, okay, well that must be what love is. Like, I can't even imagine how that then, you know, progressed in your relationships growing up. You had to like redefine that in a lot of ways. It
1: was so fucked up. It's literally this. I had no, I was having sex since three and a half. Cause let's just be really candid about it. Cause we won't Mm -hmm. talk about it. They're like, Oh, this thing happened to me. No, someone was having sex with me from three and a half for a decade. (laughs) And so I never got to discover my own sexuality. I never got that first time. I never... All of my physical sensations that happen with sex are linked back to right. my first memories. So yeah, I had a lot of... I've had a lot of trauma in my relationships, which is one of the reasons I went to therapy. I'm um, figuring out, you know, what it meant to actually connect with someone versus this is another thing I don't, I don't know if other people experience, but I would recreate my abuse. Mm. In what ways? Well, I would find... That when I was close to someone or I really cared for them, I didn't want to have sex with them anymore. Mm. But if I could, if I could dissociate, if I could close my eyes, if I could just you know get down and dirty without making them a human being, right? Then I could participate sexually.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Um, and so I would dehumanize people, mm. and then therefore in college I was, you know, if I'm just being really honest, I hurt a lot of people because the moment that they became fond of me, I would toss them aside, mm. men and women. And that's the other thing. I never got to discover what my sexuality really would have been had this thing not happened and I want to be very clear. I don't talk about this because there's a lot of people in in the queer community who have a really hard time with the idea that abuse can somehow also inform sexuality. Mm-hmm. But I in my case, I absolutely believe that it has. I don't believe that I wouldn't have been queer without it. I just think that it, inf- it it leaned me in one direction. Right. Because I was so ashamed of who I was because, um, you know, oh God, there's so much detail I could go into here. But he, he this man also um, set it up so that I would think that sex with a woman was not appropriate. mm-hmm He would do things and say things and leave magazines out for me and then talk to me about them and talk about how dirty it was, magazines of women and all these kind of things. So that I thought I would—I associated sex or sexuality or feelings for women with shame. Oh. And so it took me a long time to reconcile. You know, like, if I think back, I had simultaneous crushes as a kid on men and women. My first crush on a woman was Alyssa Milano. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Solid, solid Solid, solid choice. Right. I have a other story about that, but that's another podcast. But that was my first crush on a woman. And at the same time, I remember I was tasked with watching um, my grandmother's soap operas when she went to work because we didn't have a VCR. And there was this soap opera, As the World Turns, and there was a character on there named Craig. And I thought he was like everything. Uh, And this was like the same summer when I, I was nine years old when I started to discover my sexuality. So I knew that I was attracted to both. But I wasn't, as I grew older, able to reconcile what it meant to have a relationship with both and what it meant to not be ashamed of who I
0: was. Well, then it's so interesting to me for you to experience the the shame for loving a woman Mm -hmm. um, or being with a woman when you were growing up in a time where the queer community was not where it was, where it is today. It was not widely accepted to be gay, to be bisexual. So you were growing up being instilled with the opposite, you know, like this is not the norm to be with a woman. So that's really interesting to me too.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't even know if I had like I clearly didn't have the vocabulary to talk about it then. But when I started unraveling is is when I would date women secretly or I would mess around with women secretly. And because that so what happened was in college I went to um I went to Northwestern, which is a big theater department. Right. I'm from Oklahoma, so I suddenly went from small town to big city. I didn't know anything about a queer community. I didn't know anything about embracing that. I, I was raised super religious, so all, I, all this was happening in my head. Mm-hmm. And then I went out on a double date with um, the girl that I was seeing at the time, and then my friend and, his, and his, the girl he was seeing. And they fell asleep, and we hooked up. And I remember in that moment being like, okay, this is, okay, fine. And I told some people, and what they immediately said was, okay, you're gay. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm gay. So I started to wave, I'm gay, fine, whatever. But then I was at a party and I hooked up with this girl and I couldn't tell anybody. And she was like, you can't tell anybody because you're gay. Mm. Okay, I can't tell anybody. And that proceeded to start a whole like a decade of time where if my friends knew that I wanted to be with a girl or if I hooked up with a girl, they would say, well, you're just confused. Mm. That's actually why I went to therapy because a friend of mine said, you're a self-loathing gay man and you have got to get your shit together. You're never going to be happy. And in therapy, I was like, "Can you please just can you figure this shit out for me? Because I'm cool being gay, but I like women too. I got to figure out what that is." And people talked about bisexuality. Um, My daughter actually informed me that I'm pansexual. I don't know. I
0: love that.
1: One day she was like, "No, Dad, I think you got this wrong. Because like, do you actually care about the gender at all? Do you care if it's trans?" I'm like, "No, I don't. It doesn't matter." And she's like, "Well, then you're."
0: Okay, first of all, that's fucking amazing. Second of all, the fact that you have conversations with your daughter like that, who is how old?
1: 11.
0: That's, I mean, that's the epitome of what families should strive for.
1: That's oh, amazing. You. I'm okay. really grateful for it. She's really smart. So, um, so you go to therapy. I go to therapy and... <laughs> I made a TikTok where people were talk where I said something about back in when I came out there was no such thing as bisexual. Now I've learned since then you have to be very careful with the words you choose because people hold you to the letter of that word. Yes. What I meant was people did not allow space for it. Mm-hmm. Of course it was a thing, but when I would say that I was bisexual, which is the only word I knew back then, people would tell me I was wrong. Mm. Right. So I just kept in the closet as a guy who liked women too. And because I was also ashamed of it, I thought, well, there's something I'm, again, I'm a self-loathing gay man. I just don't want to be gay. Right. When I got engaged and married, I lost half of my friends. I, we did it. I, I proposed. proposed. Why? why? Well, first
0: of all, because you got engaged and married to a
1: woman. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. That's exactly. But
0: why. what was their reasoning behind it?
1: Well, listen, I have to own my own behavior. So there were certainly plenty of women that I strung along emotionally Mm. because when it got time to get real, I couldn't get real or they couldn't get real with me. So let me not own all of it. It was 50-50 because they couldn't get real with me because they thought I was gay. And right. I remember this one girl I really, really liked. We made out to do a short film for USC. And mm-hmm. then I was like, there's a spark here. And so we would continue to do that and hook up. And then one day I saw her at a party and, and the, took her in the bedroom. I was like, can we actually date? And she was like, of course not. Because you like guys. We can't date. Like this, this can never be a thing. Later, she came out as bisexual herself. Got it. That, <laughs> right. um, anyway, so uh, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, but the point. Uh, why you lost all the friends. Oh, I lost, thank you. <laughs> I lost the friends because they couldn't put me in a box. Mm. I lost the friends because it challenged their idea of, 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 of binary thinking. Right. And they thought that I was lying. In fact, when I got engaged, my wife uh, or my fiance at the time received a barrage of emails and phone calls saying, your fiance is gay. He's lying to you. Now, by the way, she knew from the beginning right. what my sexuality was. Um, and, uh, you know, people tried to out me constantly. Constantly, as it was this this thing. And people still do. All like, it,
0: like it's, it's some type of bad thing. Like, yeah. they're going to be getting you in trouble for saying that you are gay or that you like women and oh, yeah. men. Like, what?
1: Uh, Bi-erasure, pan-erasure is still a thing. Nobody believes it. I mean, the vast majority of people in the gay and straight community are threatened by it. Mm. And in the gay community, what I've learned is that, and, and again, let me not make blanket statements. Right, but right. For my experience, what yeah. I have been told is that it feels like I get a privilege they don't have,
0: mm.
1: that they don't have the option to have that, which is not how I see it at all. It feels much more burdensome to me, frankly, than like, it would be really nice to have that community. And a lot of straight people just think, well, you're confused. Mm. In fact, I'm not confused at all i just like men and women like, like it's, men it's pretty men, fucking simple I, yeah, to exactly. me i don't give a fuck and sometimes i actually feel totally asexual sometimes i go through periods which also i have only recently come to understand is a very valid thing to be
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know i, I just want you
0: tell people that don't for if people don't know what asexual is give a little insight to that
1: as i understand it so in my experience there are times when i am very attracted to people when i want to be with them but i don't want to have sex it's just not interesting. I'm equally fulfilled without having sex. Yeah. It's not on the table for me. And, um, you know, the thing about having the trauma as a kid and having been molested for so long is that every single thing that happens to me, I would tie it back and go, well, that's because of my trauma.
0: Mm-hmm. Well,
1: this fact that I want to have sex is because of my trauma. The fact that, in fact, I'm just a human being who happens to have his own unique set of identities And I really am really coming to understand now that it's not related to trauma, this asexuality or pansexuality or anything else, and that there's a fluidity, Mm -hmm. you know, a real fluidity. And I actually am working to understand what it means to not be fluid, because that, as foreign as it is for people to understand fluid, fluidity, who, who don't feel that way, it is incomprehensible to me to look at someone and think that they only like one thing. Yeah. I just don't get it. And I wish that that's something that, that people would understand who are on one side of the binary thinking or the other. It is just as foreign for me to think that someone could not be attracted to someone just because of energy as it is to think they have to be attached to gender or biology or physiology.
0: What always trips me up is that people care. Like I, I'm attracted to men. I've always been attracted to men. Do I appreciate women and think they're beautiful? Did I hook up with one in college? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it's never, I I found out very quickly that that's not the the route I was going to be taking. But I've never cared what other people want to do with their sexuality or with their lives. Like that's what confuses me is that you don't have to understand the thinking, but like it doesn't affect you. It doesn't bother you. It doesn't like have anything to do with you. So it's always really frustrated and, and angered me that, People go out and vote against gay marriage, like mm. they have a fucking say. You know in why,
1: it. though? I mean, I'm, I will say this and probably get a lot of hate for it, but it's 100% learned. Oh, 100%, 100%. And it's usually taught by religion. Mm-hmm. I, I, I will agree with that. I was raised evangelical, so I was pretty far right. Um, but I, I have not come across anybody who is anti-queer, anti-LGBTQ, anti-race, anti-anything. Who is not somehow exposed
0: mm-hmm.
1: to religion?
0: Yeah, or parents that taught them that right. that was the norm. That's yeah, right. It's definitely
1: communal, mm-hmm. and it's definitely learned. I don't understand why people care either. I kind of don't care why they right. care anymore. Right. Yeah, you know. Like, and I think
0: we're finally starting to see the turn of mm-hmm. of a lot of that slowly but surely. Um, so. Take me back to. Growing up, did your mom ever? Did you ever talk to your mom about what your stepdad was doing?
1: Okay, here we go. Okay, you ready? Yeah, I am. Yes, many times. She knew very early on. Mm. Now, uh, I've made a movie about this. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, I made a movie about this. Um, I made kind of a romanticized version of what would my mother have done had she actually had the ability, mm. because this is what I've learned. I told her when I was in. I remember standing in the hallway telling her in in South Dakota when I was in between second and third grade. So it took me a while to tell her. Yeah. Um, well,
0: because you're that young. Like, what do you even say is happening to you? You don't even have the, the terms to speak on that.
1: Can I tell you how it happened? Yeah. So she was babysitting a little boy, and she walked in, and we were, I, I think I was masturbating. And she, she scolded me. Mm-hmm. And I remember telling her, I can't say my stepfather's name because of slander yeah. and all that. Yeah, yeah. But I remember saying, he taught me this. This is what you do. Right. Like, I don't remember exactly the words, but I remember the feeling was, no, no, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is what he keeps me up till four in the morning every night doing. Because <sighs> that was the deal. I would go to school exhausted every day because he would, he would keep me up late every night. So I, I told my mom, and then I told my mom again, and here's what I've learned. This was the 80s. 70s and 80s. There was no internet, you know. There was no connection. There was no conversation about it. It was shamed. I was in. I was in South Dakota and Oklahoma, so pretty small town areas. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother had no support. Like if she had, I remember there was this one girl when I was in sixth grade who talked about what had happened to her, and she got pulled out of her family and into the foster system. If and if if I had told, like if my mother had told someone, I know now what would have happened is she would have lost me. Yeah. My dad probably would have come in being the guy that he is and probably tried to kill my stepfather. Like mm-hmm. it was. Rightfully so, so. Yeah, rightfully so. But, um, but I want to talk about that in a minute because that's an interesting point too because in the movie, at the end of the movie, we hold a gun to my stepfather and I don't say whether we pull the trigger or not because I, uh, I, it, I think it's a complicated thing. Yeah. But um, yes, she knew and I was really resentful for a while. Really, really angry. And my mother, to her credit, has hung in there and we've done a lot of work on it together. I, I believe that if she had been in another time, I have to believe that she would have taken me out of that home. Yeah. But she didn't. She never did. In fact, um, as I probably think happens in a lot of homes, I, when I would tell her, she would confront him. This happened at least two times I can think of. I would come home. They would be sitting in their chairs, and she would say, I think you two need to go for a drive. We would go for a drive, and he would tell me, how i it was my fault, how I had done it and and that proceeded until I was old enough to basically just say, "You know what, fuck off, I'm out right if you're not out, I'm out, yeah, and even then, you know i don't, she didn't really didn't have the strength to leave that's a longer story, but right, yeah, she knew.
0: So when you got married to your wife, yeah. um, tell me how that was deciding to commit to a woman and how the, kind of, how the relationship played out between the two of you.
1: Well, as you know, when you meet someone who's a soulmate, I, it was inexplicable, right? I had just had my heart broken maybe six months before that by another woman whom I had been seeing on and off for years Mm -hmm. who took me to Marie (laughs) calendars and broke up with me because I liked guys and said she couldn't be with me anymore. And so I was pretty like off women. I thought, you know, I had tried to date more guys, wasn't working. And then I I met, I met her and um, it was easy. And I remember when I told her about my sexuality we had been dating a few months at that point. She, and, I, and I said, I'm going to tell you this. And then I'm going to go to the bathroom. And please leave while I'm in the bathroom.
0: Oh, wow. If you can't handle it.
1: And I walked out. I'm not going to get emotional on your podcast. Mm. I walked out. And she was standing there. And she was like, I'm not going anywhere. Wow. And she really began the process of my healing. Mm. Um, she's just an amazing human being. Yeah, and she was. She just allowed me to be, and allowed me to love. Um, as I as I loved, and it was not easy. We had we had real issues when it came to because the more I fell in love with her, the harder it was for me to have sex with her mm. because it felt dirty.
0: Mm. God, right? that's so interesting. And so, did you guys go to therapy to? to work through that or how did you address that
1: no we just really i had been i was in therapy and we had been, i you know i've been in therapy so much mm-hmm. that I, I just we just talked a lot um and you know the sex was great i i i think ultimately in the end you know can i say now that we're actually separated
0: well yeah we're gonna get to all that oh, so okay. you can say everything okay
1: <laughs> so we're separated now but we together 16 years yeah we're still married we still sleep in the same bed but we're Um, our, it did come out later, I think, that we were sexually not as compatible compatible as we would like to have been, Mm. but having nothing to do with my sexuality or her sexuality. Right. That's another thing that at first I was like, oh, this is because of me or my trauma. No, it's just being human. Like, it happens. Yeah. Um, But she allowed me to, she allowed me to be in my skin for the first time ever. Mm. And um, so... It was really a healing journey all the way.
0: So how long were you guys together before you decided that something wasn't working? What, what, what's the term that you came to the conclusion of when you guys decided to separate?
1: God, um, I don't know if I've come to any <laughs> um, It It just became clear that, well, first of all, I work a lot. Yeah, well, you might work more than me, but I work more. <laughs> uh, and it became really clear that I, I just have to own this. I'm as married to my work as I am to my spouse,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that became something she didn't want. So that was the first thing. It was above sexual sexuality or right. sexual. It was just, um, and uh, she has cancer, um, and she's had it for some time. Stage four cancer, Uh, and I also believe I cannot speak for her, but my impression between the both of us is we kind of, we were already a little bit, you know, like what are we doing next? Mm We had our kids, and we were just kind of growing apart, um, physically anyway. Uh, And then I went to Canada so that I could do some work, and then we opened a company there, and the pandemic happened, and all these things happened. And it became really clear she was sitting with me one, one day in Canada and she said, you know, I look at my life in six-month increments. Mm. And I want to have what makes me happy. Yeah. And I would have to say the same thing about myself. I was like, I also would like to have what makes me happy, but, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm certainly not leaving you. Right. Even in our separation, I'm not leaving her. Yeah. Which also people have kind of a hard time understanding, but mm. she's still my soulmate. Yeah. We have children together. Yeah. She, she is the greatest woman I've ever known. So um, I think even that has been healthy in a way that my own my own mother and my mother-in-law are kind of like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is kind of, this is messing us up. You need to just not talk to each other anymore. Why are you still sleeping in the same bed? Oh, come on. But you know what I mean? Like, there's, right. a, there's a generation where it, like, it blows up. Or they it need,
0: doesn't. like, clarity and black and white decisions.
1: I don't do black
0: and white. Right. now we like gray. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are you guys going to actually get divorced? Or are you just going to stay married and call it separated?
1: <sighs> I don't. We don't talk about divorce. Okay, so here's the deal. My parents have eight marriages between them. Mm-hmm. I lose track. It's seven or eight. <laughs> so marriage to me, it doesn't mean shit. Right. Partnership. Yeah. Means everything. Yeah. Marriage is just a legal arrangement. Mm-hmm. So divorce is also just an annulment to a legal arrangement. Right, right. The legal arrangement benefits us. Yeah. And our family. We have a business together. Yeah. I don't, I don't need to get a divorce. I don't think she needs to. Unless somebody else came along and said, I want to be married. Right, right.
0: And then we would. Yeah. And you guys just broke the news to your kids, correct? Yeah. How did that go?
1: Ugh. Well, so it was unexpected. Like, we had had all of these times where we thought we would tell them. Mm-hmm. And then it would, something would come up. Now, whether it was Allie waiting for her next CAT scan or whatever it was, where we would think, eh, let's just hold a second. And I said to Allie, I was like, okay, look, so the youngest kid, my youngest daughter, is um, asking questions, questions that make me have to lie. Mm. She wasn't asking Allie for some reason, but she was asking me. And so we were laying on the floor doing cuddles before bed, and she started saying, so you and mom seem to be fighting a lot. What is divorce? What is separation? Are you guys together? What's going on? And, and how and- old is she? Nine. Nine.
0: And how old's the other one? Eleven. Okay, nine and eleven. Yeah.
1: And the the, the nine year old is asking these questions. She seems she's not that emotional. She goes to anger before she goes to sadness or anything else. The, my other one is more. Uh, her emotions are more available to her. And she's like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to know. I'm like, okay, great. And then five minutes later, but what is it that's going on? So I mm-hmm. called Allie in and I was like, Allie, we need to talk about this. So like we, now's the time. Now's the time because I don't want to look back. There's two things. I didn't want to look back and think, okay, well. I didn't want them to think my dad lied to me. My mom lied to me. Because if you don't have trust, you have nothing. Yeah. Even though there are some things that children don't have to know, this is their family unit they're talking about. Right. Right? And the other thing is, I think it's more valuable to model for them healthy, loving partnership outside marriage when things go wrong than to pretend. Totally. Right? So um, the younger one was pretty pragmatic about it. She tends to process emotions later. Mm Mm-hmm. And the older one had a really hard time, and then she saw that you know we were still good and as solid. And the thing is, we've we've essentially been separated for a couple of years. Yeah. So maybe even a little bit more in some ways. So we said to them, "You're going to see nothing is nothing's changing, right? You just haven't known." Mm-hmm. And now we seem to be okay. Although we will put them back in therapy to give them an objective, sure related party.
0: Yeah, which I think is so smart.
1: I don't think there's a choice. I wish the fuck that my parents had known, like, done that for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, dude, therapy is where it's at. Like, even if nothing's fucking wrong with you, yes. everyone should be in therapy.
1: Every single human being yeah. needs an objective third party.
0: Yes. Because then we wouldn't be so fucked up in going to therapy over the things that people did to us That's right. <laughs> that should have been in therapy in the first place. That's right. And you also, correct me if I'm wrong, just navigated some questions with them about what happened between you and your stepdad
1: yeah no you're not wrong i did they're asking all the tough questions yeah they're,
0: they're smart intuitive little suckers aren't they yeah, they are
1: <laughs> i would say little fuckers but yes they are. um i say that with lots of love uh yeah they did so we were at dinner and they've known about my stepfather they've known something has happened and and my younger daughter said i'll wait till i'm 18 to ask you really what happened and in that moment i was like
0: how like advanced of her. <laughs> Super advanced, but also
1: I was like, I'm going to tell you. I won't tell you details. Right. But I just said he, he touched me in really inappropriate ways, in ways that he never should have. And the, there were two things that happened in that. One, my children, children are amazing. Mm-hmm. If you don't fuck them up, too much? <laughs> they're, they're amazing. As your mother said to me, don't worry about fucking them up. They'll fuck themselves up enough yes, as it is. I can
0: hear her saying it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she kind of said it in a, in a little different tone than that. <laughs> um, they held the space for me in such a beautiful way. And I, I was crying at one point. And, you know, and I, I said to my older daughter, I'm so sorry. I don't. And she said, why are you apologizing? And I said, because I don't know. I feel like it's not the right thing to do because you can't fix it. And she mm-hmm. said, And she looked up at me and she said, I don't need to fix it. I just want to be here with you. (laughs)
0: It's like what we want every other person to say to us in any situation like that.
1: I think that's where our hearts naturally vibrate. Mm -hmm. In fact, I know. We are all born knowing exactly how to be and to hold space for others. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just beat it out of us. Mm -hmm. Or like with me, they tell me it's shameful. You can't express that. So I did tell them... I didn't tell them details. There's no reason they need to know details. Yeah. Um, I also think it's important too, because I need to understand that maybe that gives them um, some sort of uh, ability if that ever were to come their way, God forbid.
0: Yeah. And that it's not okay. It's not
1: okay. And that daddy's been through it and that it's not something to be ashamed of to tell someone to fuck off.
0: Right. 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 Have you ever gone back and confronted your stepdad? Is he still alive?
1: So I'm going home this week. I'm going to Oklahoma this weekend. He is still alive and he's abused other children. I know for a fact. <sighs> Our system fucking sucks. Yeah. Because, um, you know, after, after my mom and he got a divorce, the woman that he was with called my mom and said, hey, so I think he's doing something to my kid.
0: Oh my God.
1: At which point we got um, we got the, the, the local and federal authorities involved. Mm-hmm. Um, and they went out and interviewed, and this is how our system works. They interviewed him, the little boy, and the mom, and my ex stepfather in the same room. I cannot. What the fuck is the child gonna say? Right? Right? So they're, he denied <sighs> it. And then they're like, well, we can't do anything. So we're done. I mean, what? Yeah. But that's how it works. Dumbasses. It's just stupid. So he continued to do it. Guarantee you he has grandkids. Ugh. And pedophilia, listen. I do not believe it can be rehabilitated. I do not believe it can be. And, and I am I, not even saying that maybe it's something, you know, maybe people are actually born with it, like any other sort of psychosis or, or illness, but it cannot be rehabilitated. Yeah, um, I'm just quite confident of that. So, uh, yeah, I'm going home. I tried again, by the way, as recently as 41, 42 years old. Statute of limitations are not in my favor in Mm -hmm. either South Dakota or Oklahoma. So the sheriff called me from Oklahoma. was like, I had him in for questioning. I tried to scare him, but there's nothing I can do. I have to send him home. Terrible. So I I want to go and ring his doorbell. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I'm not sure why. But there's a part of me that just would like to... Look him in the eye.
0: Yeah, and say, look, I'm still fucking here and how great I am in spite of you.
1: I don't know if it's actually going to be necessary if it's something I'm going to do, but I'm thinking about
0: it. Unbelievable. Tell me what you've done that's allowed you to let some of the trauma go and heal that, because I look at you from an outside perspective before, and I've only come to really know you personally, personally, recently. Yep. Um and up until then it was like you run companies and you make movies and you're really fucking well rounded and you have this beautiful family and like you would never know that you've gone through some really? of the shit that you you've wouldn't? gone through. No I feel
1: like I have a neon flashing sign on my head no, all the time. No, trauma, it's trauma. Not the case, not the case.
0: <laughs> um not at all, in fact. Um you're so professional, so well spoken. So how did you get to being okay with what happened to you and letting some of that go like where did your healing start and how has it gone
1: okay this is going to be a little but i know you can go out there with me um your mother Mm -hmm. when i was growing up i was always pulled to your mom and i've told her this i was pulled to her the first movie i ever saw was the howling but i was just so drawn to her and this is kind of how my life has worked. And I actually believe this is how everybody's life works. I have, I just happen to be able to access a knowing. You know, I, I don't know if it's because of my trauma or whatever. And the first time that I walked in to that church where your mom was teaching acting class in the basement and I heard her voice, I was instantly like, I didn't even see her. I just heard it down the hall. I was like, okay. And that is the moment I say that my healing began. And oh. then simultaneous to that, I picked up conversations with God. Mm. Oh my God, she swears by that book. It changed like her Bible, my life. Yeah, it changed my life because what I came to understand, and what I whether people like it or not, is that go with me here. Okay. Um,
0: oh, okay. look who you're talking to. You ready? Like, okay. oh, we'll go out as far as you need to. Okay,
1: <laughs> I believe this is not excusing the behavior. This does not mean people don't deserve the punishment or the karma or the whatever. But I believe that even with my stepfather, there was a soul contract.
0: Mm. Mm.
1: I believe that with all my heart um, that it's, that he and what he did in some way divinely allowed me to, to access my own healing and yeah. growth. Um, Oof,
0: that's so okay. So for people that don't know soul contracts are, I mean, I guess it's a spirituality I guess. belief. I, I don't know yes. what you would call it, but basically I've done my own work with soul contracts and therapy with Tay, with Javier, with my dad, you know, where basically two souls at the beginning of your life, before you even come in, come in with a contract saying like, this person is going to teach you this massive lesson, or this person is going to allow you to get to this point. And it's before we even meet, you know, it's decided. Um, I've done really intense, um, and I actually didn't put this in the book, um, which you know, I probably could have, but um, I've done really intense work with my therapist who works very in a spiritual realm as well where Tay and my dad had a soul contract mm-hmm. where he, Tay was meant to come into my life at a certain time mm-hmm. to pick up where my dad, you know, couldn't take care of me in that way anymore. Um, and it, it's, so, it's so heavy to, to realize those things and how so much of our lives can be orchestrated before we even show up. You know, mm-hmm. it's so that the fact that you can recognize that and have some type of, I don't know if compassion is the right word, or understanding compassion. for your stepfather is so huge and so beautiful. Compassion.
1: I think compassion is a great word. And here's the deal. It wasn't a, let me read a hundred books to come to understand this. Right. It was the moment I read, and this is the sentence that did it for me in conversations with God, it said, Hitler went to heaven. Mm. And I was sitting backstage at the now defunct Schubert Theater in Century City um, doing a play. And I read that, and I was like, yes, of course. Not because I believe in heaven. Not because I think Hitler was anything but an atrocious human being. But because I realized in that moment, you and I and all of us, we are one. And it is through separation that we feel trauma. Mm-hmm. It is when we believe we are separate and alone that we we are and that we are not God and we are not part of God, that we become fractured, right? So, if I understand the concept on a soul level that there's no such thing as right or wrong on a divine level, mm-hmm. I'm not talking about in this in, in this world in this life. If I understand that, then of course I must have compassion. And of course I must say okay this sucked and it's caused me a lot of trauma but it's a much more it's a much more powerful and it feels much more in line with my spirit to say okay I'm going to honor that that happened I'm going to I'm going to grieve it I'm I'm still a human being who has a lot of emotions and I and I would like you to I'd like you to be punished because that was also part of my soul contract was I'm gonna be like okay but I'm going to get you for this right right you're going right. to have to deal with this because you need to learn respect for human beings for souls for whatever mm-hmm. Um that that is a place I can heal from. Mm-hmm. If I feel constantly combative or like life shit on me or like these things just happen to me. And it, it and it's not something that then I can't heal. And it's not something that I have contrived. It is something that is such it's such a deep knowing that it actually caused me some consternation cuz I was like fuck how do I know this and why is this true? Mm-hmm. And if you talk to people about this, when I talk to people, it makes them uncomfortable. And I wouldn't say for sure, but even here in the studio, I feel a shift in energy as I talk about it because mm-hmm. it's very hard to grasp. Yeah. But I know with every fiber of my being that we all are one and that everything is for a divine purpose. Yeah. And that because we all are one, that's why I couldn't shoot my stepfather at the end of this movie, even though the studio was like, you have to. People are going to want this guy dead. Right. Like, no, I am not judge or juror. Mm. I I, I won't not shoot him. I'll just cut away to something else. And the audience can decide. Because all we are here to do is to experience what it means to be human. And to experience all the parts of our divinity. And some of those parts are dark. Mm -hmm. And but when you see the darkness, you can go towards the light.
0: Ugh. I mean, is there anything more to to say? I that's probably one of the most beautiful sentiments we've had on this show. So I hope everybody rewinds 15 seconds and re-listens to that last little bit. Really fucking beautiful. Um can you tell everyone where they can come find you? Because normally it's all like just plug your social media, but I really do strongly feel that your TikTok is such a beautiful example of what it means to share your trauma for other people to heal. So I really want people to be able to go out and check your videos out.
1: Sure. It's the only social media I have really. Um, so it's, this is my life today um, is, is my handle on TikTok just all one word. This is my life today. And, um, yeah, it's, it's such a small corner of the world, Gabrielle. I didn't even get on there. I got on there to make sure my kids weren't doing stupid shit. (laughs) Right. And then, and what I love about it, what I love about it is that particularly in the middle of the pandemic, and I think it was a perfect storm of the pandemic and people needing to connect, but You know, we get caught up in social media. We're like on Facebook, which I haven't had since 2014. Instagram, which I have, but I don't really pay much attention to. It's a lot about self-promotion and everything looks nice and clean and you know all your friends and everybody's presenting their lives to each other. The thing I like about TikTok, for better or worse, is that it is not about people that you know. And you can come across somebody's feed. And what I realized was people were coming across just me talking about my life. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people who... Whether they can express it or not. What we just talked about, they know is the truth. They're just looking for someone to put it into words Mm. and not be toxically positive about it.
0: Yeah, or judgmental about it. Or
1: judgmental about
0: it. Yep, absolutely. That's
1: my little corner of the world.
0: Christopher, I can't thank you enough for being here and really going there on all of these topics that are not comfortable to go on. I, I I feel honored that you felt safe enough on this show to open up and talk to everybody about not only the trauma that you've experienced, but the way that you've grown from it and how your life has played out in a still very beautiful way, um, is really inspiring to hear. So thank you. Thank
1: you. Thank you for giving me the space. Thank you. I have to tell you, you, you create such a beautiful space, um, by sharing your own trauma and by allowing people to be human around you, that even in this moment, I felt like this zone, around you that's a magic that you have and it's and it's 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 really a gift to be here
0: oh thank you so much thank you i want to thank christopher from the very bottom of my heart for coming on and sharing his incredible and powerful story i hope that it touched you the way that it touched me and helped you really look and see how incredible a healing journey can be no matter how dark a place it started from in the first place i just so much love to to him and his journey and it was just a really beautiful honor to have that on FML talk to open up season 3 today we're not going to do FML stories because i feel like this episode just deserved to kind of stand on its own and have that sacred space for it. But next week, y'all, it is a fun girl talk filled episode. Jessica Hall is coming on to talk to me all about her playboy days, her times at the mansion with Hef and how she transitioned from a playmate into a boss businesswoman and a mom of two beautiful kids. As always, keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. Make sure you guys are subscribed so you never miss an episode. If you are not hanging out with us on the Patreon subscription, I don't know what the fuck you are doing with your life, but that is where the real party is at. We have three seasons of bonus episodes, including all behind the scenes director's cut of the ridiculous misadventures of a single girl. That's patreon.com slash FML talk. You also get access to the private Facebook group, 10% off all your merch and the option to join book club where you zoom with me once a week and get to talk about all the things that you're reading. I am so glad that we are all back in action for season three. So until next time, as always, have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers.
1: Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and, well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast
0: has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.